Jonah chapter 1 is what we'll read here this morning. Hear the word of Almighty God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O, o Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Pray with me, friends. Lord, open our eyes not just to the fantastic and true story, but to you, your glory, and your magnificent mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The book of Jonah is about God. You have no idea, by the way, for me, how difficult it is not to look toward Jonah when I say the book of Jonah. Just so you know, just messes me up. I want to read. So, the book of Jonah is about God. Yeah, there's a rebellious prophet, and yes, there's a big fish, and yes, there's an evil city that repents, but every bit of this book is aimed at teaching the people of God about God's glory and God's magnificent mercy. 
Last week we began a look at this beautiful short Old Testament book. Jonah, we learned, is a prophet from the northern kingdom of Israel. He lived just about three miles outside the town of Nazareth. But he lived there during the days of King Jeroboam II, which would make it the early 8th century B.C. So think your 700s, like 799 to 750 is the early 8th century. It sounds weird, but it's B.C. And God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, a great important city in the Assyrian Empire, and to bring them a message from God. The Lord would no longer allow the city to thrive in their wickedness, and it was Jonah's job to tell them. But Jonah had other plans. Instead of heading toward Nineveh, the rebellious prophet set out by ship for a destination a thousand miles in the opposite direction. He was fleeing the presence of the Lord, but nobody, and I mean nobody, can run far enough or fast enough to get away from our God. And the Lord hurled, get that throwing motion in there, hurled a great storm on the sea, the violence of which terrified the sailors on Jonah's ship. And the sailors tried everything they could do in their own power to get the ship to safety. They, they cried out to every god they could think of, they, but those gods had no effect on the storm. They threw the cargo into the water, hoping to lighten the load, but they knew they were in danger of death. And while all this was going on, Jonah was fast asleep, passed out down in the hold of the ship. When the captain found him, he was shocked. Jonah was out cold, and he woke Jonah up and told him, Look, you need to pray to whatever God you believe in, because after all, none of the gods that we're calling out to are having any impact whatsoever. Those are the events we covered last week. And as we watched those events unfold, we were reminded of three important truths about God. First, we were reminded that God commands us in his word. It is a kindness of God to tell us what God requires, and it is our Christian duty to obey the word of God. Second, God is present everywhere. It is a wonderful comfort for us to know that nowhere we ever go and nothing we ever go through will prevent the Lord from being with those who are his. God is there no matter where you go. And thirdly, God is superior to all gods. The false gods of the sailors had no power over the God who started that storm and who would not let Jonah go. So we're going to press on this morning. We're going to continue to watch this amazing story unfold and we will get a greater understanding of our magnificently merciful God. Today, Lord willing, we'll find five points in the passage. So if you're ready to go, let's write some things down and let's study together. First, point number one, God will not leave sin alone. God will not leave sin alone. Look at verses 7 to 10. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So, 
It seems that once Jonah was back on the deck of the ship, with the ship's complement and the guests, the sailors decided to try to find out who was the cause of their calamity. And so they decided to cast lots, which is a practice kind of like flipping a coin or rolling some dice, because they want to figure out who it is that has done something to make the sea so angry. And when they go through the casting of lots, the roll of the dice points them to Jonah. Now, if you didn't already have a reason to dislike Jonah, I want you to think of two things right now, okay? So hang with me and tell me if you like these. The pagans around Jonah are crying out to every god they can think of. But there's zero evidence that the prophet of Yahweh calls on the one true God of all the universe. Come on. Then, the sailors decide, let's cast lots so we can figure out whose fault the storm is. Y'all know Jonah knew, right? What does he do? He says, that's a great idea. Go ahead. Let's see who it gets. (laughs) What should Jonah have done? He should have raised his hand and said, all right, guys, you don't need to cast any lots. I don't want you to throw the wrong guy overboard. It's me. It's my fault. Jonah lets them cast lots. Maybe he's hoping maybe somebody else will get thrown over instead of me. Jonah's a heel. But God is not going to be defeated by Jonah, the prophet's foolishness. The lot falls to Jonah, and the sailors start to question Jonah a little more closely. And then Jonah reveals he's a Hebrew, that he fears the Lord Yahweh, and that Yahweh is the God who made the earth, the sky, and the sea. And Jonah's answer terrifies the sailors. Because, see, they now realize they're in a much bigger mess than they thought they were in. Because they assumed maybe there was some singular deity. Maybe it's the deity over the ocean. Or maybe it's just the deity over this section of ocean we're in. If we can go far enough north, we can get away from him. Maybe, maybe it's a deity who's confined to a certain time of day. And when the sun goes down, we're going to be fine. They don't know But Jonah says, in case you are wondering, the God who is hurling this storm on the sea, that's the God who is the God over all places, at all times, heaven, sea, earth, and I have been foolish enough to run from him and drag y'all with me. This is bad news for the sailors. Now, much as we did last week, We want to see this story and realize what it reveals to us about our God and about his power and his mercy. And one thing we see is that God will not allow our sin to go unnoticed forever. The captain found Jonah sleeping in the hold and right there he knew something was wrong. What are you doing? But now God has made it plain exactly what's happening and Jonah is in sin. In Numbers 32, 23, the Bible says, if you will not do so, referring to obedience, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Hear that last bit again. Your sin will find you out. There is no way to hide our sin 
from the Lord. And if you think you can hide your sin forever without repenting of it, know that God, in God's mercy, is not going to let it stay hidden. You know, sometimes, Christians, we do run from God. Have you ever done that? You ever had a run from God season? You ever run from God afternoon? Don't lie to me. But you know what? When you're running from God, other people notice. You ever have that happen too? When your relationship with God is not right, a lot of times other parts of your life are going to suffer and a keen-eyed follower of God will sometimes be able to sense in you that something isn't right. Maybe they can't even put their finger on what's wrong. But it's going to be apparent to them that something is wrong Some people are particularly good at spotting that something's out of place. And and often you say that those people have a sort of spiritual gift of discernment, an ability empowered by the Spirit of God just to smell trouble. You ever know anybody like that? They'll drive you nuts. But they're a big help. You ever have that moment where you, you know you're wrong, and somebody says, I don't know, something feels off. Are you okay? And you know, you know you're not. This happens. God is being merciful, not leaving your sin alone. And even if nobody around you appears to notice your sin, you can know this, Christians. God knows. You can't hide your sin from God, and attempting to ignore your sin or attempting to run from your sin just leads you into greater difficulty and deeper pain. The only way for you to find peace is to face God and confess your sin. And I ask, is that merciful of God? You bet it is. If God were to let you become content in your sin, God would not be loving you. For God to convict you of sin and expose your sin so that you can repent of your sin and come to Jesus for mercy, that is God's mercy. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our God is merciful. He promises mercy to anyone who comes to Jesus in genuine faith and repentance. Look at your life. Are you failing? Have you failed? Confess it to God. You're going to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Now, Am I promising you that confessing your sin will lead you to an easy earthly life? (laughs) No. Sometimes confessing your sin might cost you your job. Might cost you a relationship. After all, the man who goes to his boss and says, Hey boss, I've been stealing from the company for the past four years. Probably shouldn't expect a raise. But... And this is what's vitally important. Confession and repentance will bring you in Christ forgiveness and purification from God. Make sense? Thus, it is totally wonderful, totally merciful of God not to leave your sin alone. Let's go a little further forward. Point number two. Not only does God not leave your sin alone, God persists in his plan. 
Point number two, God persists in his plan. Jonah 1, 11 to 13. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So the sailors are trying to figure out what to do with their Jonah problem. God keeps the storm going. It gets worse. And the sailors say to Jonah, what in the world are we going to do? Because Jonah understands this storm is because he has disobeyed God. And Jonah admits that the only way for, for the storm to be calmed is for Jonah to face God and deal with his disobedience. And he tells the sailors, the only way the storm's going to die down is if you throw me into the sea. Now, by the way, here's Jonah again. He should have just hopped in. But he still doesn't have the character. He's like, you guys got to throw me. Now, the sailors are definitely more kind, more noble than Jonah. They're not willing to let Jonah die if they can avoid it. They try to row the boat back to shore. But God, in God's mercy, I will say, God doesn't let it happen. He won't let that ship make landfall. And the sea gets wilder. And the sailors are unsuccessful in their attempt to get back to land by their power. And here I ask the question again, what do we see about God? God is not giving up. God continues his pursuit of Jonah. God continues to create chaos around Jonah to let Jonah know that Jonah is not at peace with God. And friends, the same thing happens in our lives too. When we flee from God, when we disobey God, God pursues us. And when we flee from God, it is the mercy of God that will keep our circumstances looking like a raging stormy sea. It is the kindness of God that will not give us rest if we attempt to ignore our sin. How is that kindness and mercy? We just compare it to judgment. In Romans chapter 1, don't don't turn there, we don't have time for that, but in Romans chapter 1, God pronounces his judgment on rebellious people who are suppressing the truth. And in every instance, Verses 24, 26, and 28 of Romans chapter 1, the Bible says of the sinful people, God gave them over to their sinful desires. Remember that? The judgment of God on your life while you're living is not when you feel guilt and pain because of your sin. The judgment of God is when your sin doesn't bother you anymore. It's when the pain ends and you're still alive that judgment begins. And that judgment, if unchecked, will result in a person becoming just as sinful as they want to be. And that will result in a person utterly walking his soul to destruction and in his face in the fires of hell. 
the mercy of God on Jonah is that God persists in his plan. God does not just let Jonah run away to his own destruction. Instead, God moves the sea so Jonah can't escape. And even when the sailors who have no desire to throw a man into the sea to his death, when they try to row back to shore, God will not let them succeed. And Christian, God persists in his plan in your life too. God will not stop working with you. God will not let you ignore your need for growth and for sanctification. God will expose your sin and God will continue to move in your life by his spirit through your circumstances until you are conformed more and more to the likeness of God's holy son. And I would say to you Christians, be grateful. Be grateful that God persists in his plan. Third point. Still with me? Okay. God provides propitiation. That's our third point. God provides propitiation. I'll spell that word for some of you. It's P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N. P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N. Twelve-letter word in one point. You got to love it. God provides propitiation. Look at 14 and 15. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. I can't imagine just how how distressed those sailors must be. They try every trick in the book to get the ship to shore. Throwing the cargo over, they, they roll for the shore. They can't escape the storm. And now this prophet of some God far more powerful than any God they've ever imagined says to them, just chuck me into the sea. That's how the storm will calm down. And you know what he's saying, don't you? Jonah's saying, I have to die so you can live. The sailors pray to God. They've never worshipped the Lord before, but they ask him, please don't hold us guilty of a sin for throwing this guy into the sea. After all, they realize God has given them no alternative. And then, in the midst of the storm, in the crashing waves, in the driving rain, in the thunder, and the flashes of lightning, the sailors pick up Jonah and they hurl him over the side of the ship. God had hurled a storm on the sea, Now Jonah is hurled into that raging sea and he sinks below the waves. Glory be to God. The storm stops. The waves calm down and the danger to the sailors is over. All right. Now let's talk about propitiation. That's a big theology word, right? You want to know this one. Let me ask first of all, how many of you today have heard the word propitiation? Very good. It's not a hard word. It's a big word, but it's not a hard word. And even the sailors in the ship could have understood it. They knew what? God was angry over Jonah's sin, righteously, wrathfully angry. 
and caused the sea to be treacherous. They knew that a death, a sacrifice, had to take place for God's anger to be satisfied and for God to look at them, the sailors, with favor. And the concept of satisfying the anger of God by a sacrifice so God can now look at you with favor, that is propitiation. Now, why the word propitiate? Why does that word sound like it does? If you knew your English from years ago, you would know that the word propitious means to treat someone kindly, favorably, to be kindly disposed towards somebody. Propitiation is the use of a death, a sacrifice, so that God can be kindly disposed, propitious, toward you and me. So in this instance, God determines that Jonah's being hurled into the sea. God says, that will move me to treat the sailors with merciful kindness. In other places in the Bible, you see God accept a sacrifice as an offering for sins so he can treat people with kindness and not destroy them with his holy wrath for their sin. But let me ask you folks, does this take your mind anywhere special? Does this sound all all and only Old Testament to you? This points you to Jesus, doesn't it? Our sin against God was so great that there's not one single animal sacrifice that could cover our sin so that God can look at us with favor. So what did God do? God sent to earth his only son, God in the flesh, who would die as a sacrifice for our sins and put us under God's favor instead of under God's fury. Romans three twenty-three to the beginning of 25 reads as follows. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You guys know that verse, don't you? But listen to the next and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Listen to me closely. Our sin earns God's judgment. God provides one and only one propitiation. That's Jesus. Either you come to God by God's grace through faith in Jesus or you're like the sailors trying in their own power to row the boat to the shore. You can never, ever make it to God on your own. You must come through Jesus. And the mercy of God is that God provides propitiation. If you've never come to God for his mercy, I urge you, trust in Jesus, turn away from sin, ask Jesus, Jesus, please save my soul. And what God will do is he will accept Jesus' death as the payment for your sin, and he will look at you through the lens of Jesus' goodness. God will love you and favor you because he provided his own propitiation for himself and his own son. Come to Jesus And thank God for providing propitiation. Okay, point number four. God will be glorified. That's much easier to spell, isn't it? 
God will be glorified. Look at verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So here, the sailors see the storm abate, and the sea goes calm, and they're a little amazed, and they're incredibly terrified. Wouldn't you be? They fear God. Because the sailors fear God, the Bible tells us there's two things that they do. They present an offering to God, and they make vows to God. Now, I want you to realize this is not happening on the ship. How do we know that the sailors are not making sacrifices to God on the ship? They threw the cargo overboard, and that would include the critters, if there were any on the ship. So this had to have happened when the sailors docked the ship and they went to a place where they could worship the Lord. Maybe they went all the way to Jerusalem. Who knows? But the sailors had seen the power of God and they feared God and they worshipped God and they made commitments, vows to God. You know, many people would have said that Jonah, a prophet fleeing the will of God, man, that is something that's going to really hurt God's reputation. And honestly, I think if you think about it, we will think that, hey, man, my, my acts of service to God really bring God a bunch of glory, but if I'm disobedient, I really tear his name down. But I think you can see from this passage that God is going to bring glory to his name regardless of our response to him. That doesn't mean I don't want you to glorify God, but I'm telling you, you're not big enough to change how much glory God has. How important is the glory of the name of God? Listen to the word of God, Psalm 138, verse 2. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Did you hear how high God's name is in God's mind? It's above all things, his name and his word, which means, Christian, by the way, you better put top of your life, the number one priority of your life, the name of God and the word of God. Well, who is going to glorify God? Do you guys think the righteous will glorify God, but the pagan will not? Hear the word of the Lord. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen to me. All humanity will glorify God. Will you please mark that down and know it's true? There is not one person who has ever lived or will ever live who will not glorify God. Every human being, dead or alive, will glorify God. Got that? Your disobedience will not hinder God being glorified. Those who lovingly obey God will glorify God in their obedience. But those who choose not to obey the Lord they're still going to, whether they like it or not, be instruments of the glory of God. A saved saint of God is going to glorify God in heaven forever for God's grace and mercy. 
Likewise, a condemned sinner in hell will bow, will acknowledge Jesus is the Lord, and will glorify God by being evidence of God's perfect justice. Ladies and gentlemen, you will glorify God. Jonah brought the glory of God to the eyes of the sailors, though unwillingly. But is it not better for you to glorify God as a willing servant of his? It's better that you glorify God by being a recipient of his great mercy. That's the whole point of this passage. I told you earlier, the entire study of this book is about God's magnificent mercy. But don't you think, okay, just imagine, you get two choices. You can either glorify God by receiving from God ultimate soul-satisfying joy, or you can glorify God by being tormented in hell forever. But both are going to glorify God. Which one do you think you ought to choose? I guess if you're someone who likes misery, you know what, even that person, will wish they had glorified God by obedience. Now, the final verse of chapter 1 of Jonah brings us to the point of God's glory and mercy. Look at point 5. We'll wrap up here. God delights in showing mercy. God delights in showing mercy. Verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So, you know, the, if the movie camera followed the ship back to the shore where the sailors were going to go back and praise God and all the stuff, now we go back and we see Jonah sinking down, down beneath the waves. And in a stunning moment as the episode closes, right? You know, you know those... Marvel superhero cliffhangers where the, the, the thing happens you don't see coming and then they cut the scene off. Shoop! Jonah is swallowed whole by a fish. No chewing, no digesting. You see a prophet entombed by a fish. And he's going to be there three days before he gets out. To let you in on a little secret, the last time I preached Jonah chapter 2, the title of the sermon was, Praise God, I've Been Swallowed by a Fish. <laughs> because the fact that the fish swallows Jonah is a sign of God's magnificent mercy. Why? Because Jonah should have drowned. He was cast into a raging sea for disobeying the commands of the Almighty God. He should have sunk down to the bottom and never breathed again. But God had mercy on Jonah. He provided a fish to swallow Jonah. And don't let yourself get caught up in any argument as to whether it was a fish or a whale or something else. I'll tell you this, no matter what kind of animal it was, it was more obedient to God than Jonah. That is what you need to know. And this is a supernatural event. Jonah lives for three days in the belly of a fish. That is mercy in action. One of the most flawed points of view people have is a misconception about God when they think about the Old Testament as compared to the New. There are people out there who believe that in the Old Testament, God is all judgy, while in the New Testament, Jesus is all lovey. But guys, God doesn't change. 
What the Father is in his character, absolutely so too Jesus Christ is in his character, absolutely. And God is always perfectly loving, and God is always absolutely just in every way. Jonah was cast into the sea and rescued by God. I want to have you look at a verse with me in Micah about something else being cast into the sea, just because I want you to see it. Micah chapter 7. Look down at verse 18 is where we'll start. I just want to keep the theme of things cast into the sea in front of our eyes. You find Micah 7? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. How many of you have that underlined in your Bible? If you don't, that phrase... This is God. This is Old Testament. He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Is that not beautiful? God is. When we find ourselves under his forgiving mercy, he casts our guilt into the depths of the sea. God removes your guilt from you so far that no person or God would ever find it again. And why would God do that? Why would God take your sins off of you and throw it so far away that even he won't bring it up against you again? Why would he do that? Micah says, he delights in steadfast love. God delights. He is happy. He is excited to show us mercy. That is God's character, Old Testament and new. Of course, the event here also points us to the New Testament with crystal clarity, doesn't it? Do you remember there was a group of religious folks that came to Jesus and said, Give us a sign. How'd the Savior respond? He answered, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's Matthew 12, 39 and 40. Jonah was saved by, from death by riding around in the belly of a fish under the sea. You and I, we can only be saved from spiritual death through the person and work of Jesus. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. Jesus died to satisfy the wrath of God against our sin. Jesus was three days in the tomb. Then Jesus rose from the grave. His human body came back to life. Jesus walked out of the tomb, and he is alive right now. And God delights in giving us mercy. And Jesus died and was buried, and he rose again to give us mercy. Won't you receive Jesus' mercy? 
Won't you come to Jesus in faith and repentance to find life? If you do know Jesus, rejoice in your magnificently merciful God. Remember, God will not leave sin alone, and that is a merciful thing. God persists in his plan that is so good for us. God will never stop chasing his own. God provides propitiation. Without that, you have no hope. God will be glorified in our lives, whether we obey or not, but it's so much better to have the joy of glorifying God in obedience. And God delights in showing mercy. This is a God worthy of our very lives. A God worthy of your very life. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and we acknowledge here and now you are good. Your love endures. Your mercies are magnificent. We praise you. Help us now, O Lord, to rightly give our lives for your glory because you're worthy. We know, Lord, this is not about us. We don't, we don't add to your goodness. You'll be magnified no matter what. But God, we would ask you, we would ask you for help that we might truly please you. Save souls and do things in our lives that only you can do. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.